five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. Today we have a special guest. He's the new CEO of MDA. Okay, well, the new CEO is none other than Mike Greenlee, who was the group president of MDA until yesterday. So why the change in titles? Well, yesterday, Northern Private Capital completed the acquisition of MDA from Maxar Technologies. MDA is now a Canadian-owned company after paying Maxar one billion Canadian to acquire the 51-year-old iconic company. Mike and I discussed the deal, what it means for MDA, its future, but we also touch on important topics today such as COVID-19 and the bankruptcy of OneWeb and what it means for MDA. Listen in. My first question is, what does this deal mean for you personally? I think for me personally, um, the, uh, the the sale of MDA and the creation of it as a, a private standalone company is uh, it's just a great career moment, really. Um, I think that MDA is a is a national champion, um, certainly our national champion in the space sector. Um, it's an important company in Canada, and to have the chance to run it and lead it, and now lead it as a standalone Canadian company, it's a very unique career opportunity. Um, I'm very proud to be able to do it. There's not many jobs like this in Canada, and so it's uh, it's a it's an honor really to be able to have this as an opportunity. All right. So, how did MDA and Northern Private Capital meet, and when did you think a deal might get done? Um, as we were going through the year last year, um, uh, Maxar was running a bit of a process to look at different options for reducing debt. Um, one of those was the sale of MBA, and so they were talking to different parties and had people helping them do that. Um, and so that that was a bit of an ongoing process in in part of 2019. Um, I had bumped into uh, uh, John Risley um, through some other discussions, and uh, we had just gotten talking about the you know the state of MDA, and uh, he had identified that uh, you know. It, that should be a standalone Canadian company. He, he got it immediately in terms of what would be a very good future for, for MDA. Um, so uh, after our meetings, he reached out to the, uh, to the, to the bankers and the people running the process and asked to get involved. And so they got involved and, uh, and worked it through to the finish. So it was, it was excellent. Um, that would have all started in the, in the, uh, in the early fall of 2019 and resulting in a, a signature that was announced there in December 30th and now a close that completed yesterday. All right. So the new board has made you CEO. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, uh, how, will the, how will the new position differ from that of group president? Um, in terms of running MDA itself, um, you know, not a lot. You still got all the same responsibilities and the same authorities to run MDA. I guess there's a few small differences in that um, from a, a decision-making perspective, there's not another level that you need to go to. So now as CEO of the company, um, you know, you're the, you're the, the last decision maker, um, except for, you know, key items that need to go to the board. So um, 
that's that's really the only difference. Um, I think that it's a it's a different feeling. It's only day one right now, but it's a different feeling in terms of uh, you know having the responsibility, standalone responsibility for the full machine, and uh, to be able to respond directly now to the investment community. That's the other big change in, in my job now is that. Um, from running the business perspective, it's largely the same, but in terms of uh, now being responsive to the investment community, um, as a group president within Maxar, you would support the CEO and the CFO in investor relations, um, whereas now as the as the uh, as the CEO of MDA, um, I'll spend more time interacting with uh, with the board and the uh, and our investors to make sure that uh, everybody's informed and supportive of what we're doing and where we're going. And. Now that MDA is a standalone company, um, are there plans to restructure? Um, there's no like specific, you know, overwhelming plans. I think that we will always be um, like any other business. You're constantly looking at, you know, what's the what's the structure of the business? How is it organized? How, what's the best thing to do uh, to be able to make the most of the company? So you're you're constantly looking at that. Um, I think that, uh, for me, um, we'll spend some time, uh, interacting with the investment base and the community and the, uh, and the board and, uh, update our strategic plans, uh, over the next several years, um, based on those plans, if it makes sense to tweak the organization in any way to make sure that we are the most successful that we can be, then, then we would do that, but, but otherwise we carry on. So we'll just constantly evaluate that like any business. Would. Any planned layoffs? I don't have any planned layoffs. No, Um, we will, again, we, we hire and make layoffs like any other company based on the ebbs and flows of work. Okay. Uh, The reason why I ask is that when sometimes companies go private, especially with these types of private uh, investors, there's a restructuring and sometimes there's uh, some layoffs. Um, Right. uh, The company. I can comment on that further in that. Yeah. I can comment on that further in that in this in this particular uh, situation, like it's uh, we have a very, very uh, strong uh, investment community that really believes in what we're doing. Um, and they really um, believe in the growth opportunities for MDA. This is not an investment, which is a, a quick flip in any way where, you know, sometimes investors will come in and, you know, they'll want to you know buy a company and make it more efficient and then, you know, sell it or something and make a buck. Uh, this is not like that. Uh, this community believes uh, and has publicly commented on that they really believe that MDA can be three to five times bigger. And that that's why they're here. They, they, they believe in this thing and they believe in the management team. And they're here to put their backing to it and to have it uh, grow and become a much, much larger corporation. Um, that's the goal. So there's, there's no quick-term efficiency thing here that needs to be found. And so it's really just up to management to run the business as best we can. Uh, in accordance with the strategy that we all set and agree on and uh, cause um, very large amounts of growth. Now, the company has gone from being a public company to a private company, one backed by at least two billionaires and several other private investors, including banks. Uh, Are you going to have better access to capital for growth? Yes. (laughs) Um, Simple answer. Simple answer is yes, um, and and for two reasons. Like one is that uh, um, you know we're we're not part of Maxar anymore. Maxar was a you know it's, it's, it's a public conversation. Maxar is a, a highly capital constrained environment that 
that needs to, uh, you know, finish uh, very significant investments in uh, new capabilities such as their Legion constellation, while at the same time uh, reducing the debt load of Maxar. And so in that environment, it's, it's very capital constrained. There's only so much you can do. Uh, we've left that constraint now, so we have more, more freedom to maneuver. Um, MDA is a very strong performing company, and we have, uh, like you just mentioned, um, we're backed by a strong investment base. Um, as we continue to deliver the business and make money, uh, you know, there's only two things to do with that money. One is to, you know, pay down some debt and the other would be to invest in growth. So, um, you know, we will have more opportunity to, you know, you know, use our own money that we generate in addition to the investment community funds uh, to be able to, to do new things for sure. So uh, speaking of growth, I think I asked you this a couple of years ago when you first came on board. What do you see as, uh, or ha- has there been any changes, and what do you see as any areas for potential growth? Because I've read statements where, uh, in the Globe and Mail and elsewhere in the last day or so, that uh, you know the company there's lots of opportunity for growth. So I'm curious, where do you see that growth? Um, I think we see it in in all of our lines of business. Um, like if we started in a place like uh, Earth Observation. Um, you know, we, we have a strong earth observation business today. Uh, we continue to operate radar set two. We continue to have a very strong network of customers around the world operating our ground stations. Um, and, uh, and that's like a solid, a solid base. We've just delivered RCM. There's some additional opportunity to pursue there. Um, but then as you look forward into the future, um, you know, we just have a tremendous opportunity to, um, you know, we would have a normal opportunity to invest in our own uh, next generation uh, earth observation missions we would have opportunities to partner with uh, companies of all sizes smaller startups and larger corporations in their earth observation missions to be able to uh, partner and bring the right uh, distribution of earth observation data and ai based analytics uh, to our customer base around the world so we see lots of opportunities for conversations there and are engaged in a number of those conversations today um, from a Canadian program perspective, there's opportunities, you know, that will come through that are talked about and planned in the in the future. So, you know, we're starting to see the uh, early concept studies now being conducted for the Department of National Defense's next generation Earth observation programs as they complete their options analysis phase. Um, we're seeing similar early activities on uh, Earth observation data continuity uh, programs um, from the you know Canadian Space Agency and other government departments all working together. So there's there's significant opportunities that are coming in those programs. Lastly, you know in other countries there's a number of countries that because of our expertise in in our radar satellite based Earth observation, there's a number of com- countries that would talk to us about you know future programs they might be interested in. Um, in the satellite business, we continue to see opportunities to provide uh, support for satellite subsystems um, in both GEO and LEO. The LEO Constellation community uh, continues to work on uh, you know LEO constellations, and we continue to talk to the various parties that are uh, working on those programs. Companies like Telesat's program here in Canada, for example, um, where you know we would hope to have an opportunity on those programs moving forward. In the robotic side of the house. Um, you know, Canada's announced its commitment to uh, Canada Arm 3 and to put AI-based robotics on Gateway, the new space station by the moon. Um, we see that, of course, as a significant opportunity. 
Um, but we're also making some strong progress on a commercial line of space robotics and uh, customer conversations in the uh, that we can support in the earth observation and debris management side of the house where over the next few years we would expect to see opportunities pick up there. So on the space side in each of our various areas, I think we see good opportunities, um, including international opportunities in countries with strong space ambitions and budgets that are looking for us to, to show up in their nation in addition to our base here in Canada. Now, getting back to one segment that you mentioned, um, when it comes to building satellites, are, are you just going to build it on a program by cro- program basis? You know, let's say there's a next generation RCM, or are you going to be a little bit more proactive in in building, being the prime for for building satellites in Canada? Um, we've yeah, we we've always done in the in our history when Canada needs to build satellites um, for Canadian programs. Um, and uh, they seek to have that done in Canada. You know, we, we have a history of doing that. So on Canadian programs where the government wants to see Canadian content or a sovereign capability to build a satellite here in Canada, then, you know, we would, we would always look for that opportunity. Um, in the international market, you know, we're very much a strong merchant supplier of uh, antennas, electronics, and payloads to a wide range of satellite manufacturers around the world. And we would, we would want to maintain that posture moving forward. Now, there's some irony in, in, in my next question. The reason MDA started its U.S. access plan was to gain a greater share of the U.S. market as do, domestic revenues were flat or declining. And, of course, this was before you joined MDA. Uh, recent Canadian Space Agency State of, the Spa- uh, State of the Space Sector reports show that while export revenues continue to grow, domestic revenues continue to decline. So... Isn't the MDA back with the same dilemma uh, of having to grow export revenues but not having access to a U.S. company? And at the same time, we're seeing a decline, it seems, in, in domestic revenues. Do you think you can turn around some of that domestic revenues? And, 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 and you said you've got gross opportunities, but does that include uh, the states as well? Yeah, so I think that I think that the when you look out ten years from now, compared to when you looked out ten years ten years ago, um, when when the the previous leadership of MDA were really you know trying to figure out how to strongly get into um, the American market, and they you know went through the whole process of trying to sell the orbital ADK, and then eventually figured out you know a different plan to be able to do that. So they were on that journey. Um, that that ten year forecast domestically didn't really see much in it. If you look at the 10-year forecast opportunity domestically now, I agree with your point in terms of publicly, like, you know, there's like looking like a decline domestic um, sort of revenue opportunity there, but it's, it's, there's, there's too many programs that are being discussed that have yet to show up in the appropriate uh, expenditure budget. So to, when you look at a world where, you know, we're, we're going to go into Canada Arm 2, and that's not reflected in those budget numbers that you're talking about. Um, and Canada's made a $2 billion commitment there. I think that's very strong. When you look at the, you know, people are already starting the, the projects now for the follow-on to RCM for Earth Observation Data Continuity and in the defense side of the house, the DESPI program. 
So we have now two large um, Earth observation programs in Canada that are now in their early phases to, to move out into the future. If you look at the fact that uh, D&D is talking about ESCAPE, which is a you know, polar-based uh, or northern-based uh, communications network um, that's not too far, too many years away in terms of a procurement opportunity. Um, and there are others. Uh, as the community, as the global community starts to participate in, in the, the broader Artemis program and return to the moon as we approach 2024, you know, I would expect that there will be other Canadian programs to participate in those adventures. So um, I see the next 10 years in Canada as, as once in a career 10 years. Like I think that there will be a lot of space-based programs that start to heat up moving forward um, combined with the fact that um, when you go back 10 years and you said, okay, I want to go and export to other countries to cause growth. United States is, you know, the biggest place to go. That's where I should go. 10 years later, there's now a number of countries that have significantly stepped up their investment in space. If you look at, you know, the UK's strategy that's now come on top of their new space agency and the uh, types of budgets that they're putting on the table, it far exceeds Canada. Um, you can see Australia and New Zealand starting to step up and do the same. And uh, in other nations, you're starting to see the same thing. So the, the, the number of countries that we can now export into where people are putting significant investments behind growth in space um, because they want to participate in space because they recognize that it's a significant, powerful part of the economy and they want to have it in their industrial base, um, creates many more opportunities for export than just the United States. In the United States, though, we'll still participate well. We can still partner with uh, um, Maxar, our old parent company. We can partner with anybody else in the United States and and participate in, in programs with them. Um, and uh, so I'm not worried at all about our growth opportunities uh, now compared to before. All right, so I just have a couple more questions. Um, throwing a little bit of a short-term, hopefully, reality uh, into the picture, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted businesses globally. Uh, Canada is not immune to that. Uh, how is MDA faring? I mean, uh, how many are most of people working from home these days? Uh, how's the company dealing with it? Yeah, so MDA is dealing well with it. I'm very, very proud of our people. They're, it was amazing to watch uh, our teams uh, step up and uh, go through the transition into uh, work safe mode, I call it. Um, and that means that, you know, probably over 90% of our workforce are now working from home. Um, and that uh, happened rapidly. Um, the, our IT department was extraordinary. They kitted everybody out appropriately, um, quickly. Um, upgraded access to networks and stuff in a secure fashion and got everybody work from home mode. So that was a, that was just an incredible accomplishment and it's working out well. Um, for those that can't work from home um, and need to continue to go to work, uh, a number of measures have been put in place at sites where that occurs, where people have to operate satellites or provide support to the International Space Station or manufacture things that are critical um, essential operations that need to be conducted. Um, we are, you know, very much in the modified work practice mode to make sure that everybody is as absolutely safe as possible to get that work done. And, uh, and that's going well. As a result of all these measures, we continue to get our business done. Um, granted, there is, you know, slowdown pockets in the supply chain as various uh, suppliers have to lock down in their regions, wherever they are, um, that can disrupt the, the flow of uh, goods and support. And then some people in the customer community, as they're in work from home mode, it's, it's hard to 
fully integrate and test systems. And so it gets a little clumsier and slower as you do that. But largely on the whole, um, because of the long-term nature of our programs and the criticality of the work that our our collective community does for earth observation and space-based communications, which are essential to responses to things like COVID. Um, in addition to, you know, essential ongoing operations for things like the international space station, um, everybody's continuing to, to, to get their, to get their work done. If, if this is a, a slower bump for a few months and then we get past it and, and carry on, I think that'll be, that'll be fine. I think that, uh, you know, there, there will be impacts and we will, you know, have to work that through, uh, but they will not be catastrophic in any way. Um, and then really it's just all about time. It's like, how long do we all collectively uh, need to work in this new posture? And, um, you know, how, what do the new progress programs coming in look, look like when I talk to commercial customers around the world, they're still working on processing orders and getting their space-based projects done. And we continue to expect to have a really strong orders here this year. And certainly when I speak with governments and uh, we talk about what can they do to support, uh, you know, businesses in the space sector, you know, one of my immediate answers is keep the programs moving, keep the programs moving, keep the next generation of business coming and, and we'll all spread the work around properly. Now, do you see a need and will you be applying for any of the related government relief programs? In pockets, I would expect us to participate in those um, in areas where, um, you know, especially as time goes on, um, you know, if there are pockets where our ability to keep people engaged on meaningful work slows down in, in certain pockets of the business, um, then we would we would look to any support programs we can get to make sure that everyone's taken care of and the business uh, is uh, as efficient as it can be moving forward. So... Um... Uh, because of COVID-19, and just specifically this, uh, everybody's still working. Yep. Nobody's been, uh, you know, laid off as a result of this. We have, uh, I don't, uh, well, there's a couple of pockets in the business where um, uh, programs couldn't be completed and uh, they, it did not make sense to deem them as essential operations. And we've taken, taken people off those programs and are working through a number of means in terms of either re redistributing people on other work or um, if there was nothing to do, then making sure that they're supported in, uh, in, a, in like a temporary suspension. But, um, you know, those are just very small pockets at the moment. All right. So uh, along with the pandemic, uh, OneWeb has gone into bankruptcy. Uh, MDA is an investor yeah. in OneWeb subsidiary Airbus uh, OneWeb uh, Satellites LLC, I believe. Um, that company has not gone into bankruptcy yet. Um, what's the status of your work with them? Uh, let's yeah, let's just start with that one, and I have one more follow up with that. Yeah, well, that's okay. So like we we we're in a very good position on that program. We're a very strong performing supplier to the, to the one web constellation into that project. Um, we're in, uh, you know, definite regular conversations with their leadership around, you know, what are they going to do and what are the next steps going to be? Um, we've taken a bit of a pause with them at the moment because we're, we're where we need to be in deliveries based on where they are. Um, and then we continue to talk to them on a regular basis in terms of, you know, where are they going to go next? So, you know, we'll continue to work through that over the next few months with them as they go through their process. So the work's on pause. Um, what percentage of the work would you say was completed? Uh, 10% maybe? Oh, for the, you mean for their entire project? No, for, no, in terms of your contribution, oh. uh, the one web, the antennas, 
and other any other substances. Well, like we were we were like right on schedule for what we had been contracted for. Um, uh, in terms of the percentage of the contract, um, I'd have to get back to you on that number. All right. All right. So uh, I think my last question is: Maxar was a creation of MDAs, and now it's a separate company. Um, how is the relationship going forward? Um, it's good. I think like it's uh, the thing that everyone has to remember in this journey is that MDA had a, re- a relationship with Space Systems Aral that goes back, you know, a good twenty years in terms of doing things together, and then over the past several years, you know, have found ourselves inside the same company, and now we're back standalone again, like we were in the beginning. Um, MDA has a relationship with Digital Globe and the Earth Observation business that goes back over twelve years, and for the last two years, we found ourselves in the same company, and now we're back again. So, there's an ongoing business relationship that's existed in this community amongst these companies that um, is solid it's established it predated any creation of maxar and uh, it continues today um we continue to develop uh, uh technologies and uh, offerings that are of value to maxar so we continue to sell to them like any other space company and there are things that maxar does that, that we can use in our offerings to customers so um we expect uh, we expect the business relationship that was always there to can continue into the future now, i i remember there was one more question um Lunar Gateway. Um, I, I won't get too much into the what's happening in the states because it's in flux, and um, we know things are moving forward with with uh, some parts of the Artemis program. Others are being modified as we go forward. There's an election coming up, but in dealing specifically with last year's uh, funding announcement by the the Canadians, uh, uh, sorry, by the government, and it's, uh, you know, significant uh, con- commitment of uh, $1.9 billion towards moon, towards the moon over 24 years. Uh, budget documents last year said there was going to be X number of dollars uh, invested uh, this year and next year. They did a five-year projection. Um, it looks like this year's numbers look like they're good, but the numbers for next year based on what the projection is for the CSA budget, don't include, at this point, the significant bump in funding. Is that a, a, current, a concern for you at this point or, or not? Uh, no, I'm not concerned about that. I think that all indications are that we see in the continued evolution of the Artemis program is that, you know, Gateway Gateway is needed. Gateway is going to get up there. They're still talking about 2022 to 2024 type ranges to start getting elements of Gateway up in, in, in orbit. Um, that means that the robotics for that is still needed over the next few years. Um, any behaviors that we're seeing inside governments is in alignment with that, that we need to move out and get this done um, and that uh, procurement activities need to progress. Um, so it's my expectation that folks in government would be continuing to progress to get their expenditure authorities and procurement authorities to be able to go and get this done, um, which after which, you know, you would see um, the appropriate reflection of all that in any budget or spend forecast. So I think everybody's leaning into this and we, and we just need to get on with it. Now, if, if, um, if the Canadian contribution or one of the Canadian contributions, let's say the robotic side of things, uh, isn't needed by 2024 and is needed by, you know, a, a year or two beyond that, does that affect anything from your perspective uh, or does it just give you more time to get everything, uh, you know, the technology and everything in its right place? 
I think um, all indications are that it is needed by 2024. Like that's not changing. Um, uh, as recently as the last month or so, like that's not changing. Everyone's still expecting that it's needed. And it's uh, certainly in, in Canada's interest to get it up there and get the robotics as part of the first elements of the station. And uh, just like we did on the International Space Station. So um, everyone's remaining aligned with that. If for some reason um, people wanted to slow down the delivery date, um, it would still make sense to get going on the project, especially now in the, the current situation is to keep as many programs moving as possible, especially ones that are committed to like uh, Canada Arm 3 for, for Lunar Gateway. So um, it would make sense to just keep moving and then uh, just, you know, uh, flatten out the performance uh, curve a little bit um, if it had to be stretched out in time. But, but right now, there's no indication of that. Right now, all indications are this needs to get done. There was no pun there, right? Flatten the curve. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost, I, I kind of, I kind of like thought about that as I said. I said that's the wrong phrase we're using, Mike. But it was too late to come <laughs> in my mouth. All right, Mike. That's all I've got. Thank you for your time. I'm looking forward to seeing how MDA moves forward in this, in this uh, new era as a private company yet again. It's going to be very exciting, and I'm happy to talk anytime. Thanks a lot, Mark. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. Lastly, if you haven't listened to the latest episode of our new podcast, Terranauts, what are you waiting for? Host Ian Christie is a natural interviewer who knows how to tease good stories from those who work every day in space, but don't go to space. Terranauts is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite app. Listen to it now. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.